0: Well, amen. Once again, so glad that you're here this morning worshiping with us. I'm looking forward to our time together in God's Word. Um, This morning we're looking at the ups and downs of life. You know, growing up, probably one of my favorite places to visit was Six Flags. How many of you can relate to that? Man, you grew up, you loved going to Six Flags. Some of you that are younger, probably still to this day, love going to Six Flags. When I was growing up, I would always seek out the biggest, the fastest, the ugliest, the baddest roller coaster that was at Six Flags or any amusement park. I loved going to Six Flags, I loved going fast, going high, all of those things. That came with a roller coaster. Something happened though. I got older. Today when I ride a roller coaster. It literally feels like my brain has been taken out of my head. And my brain is used as a hockey puck. Or as a softball. Or as a baseball. A soccer ball. Or something like that. It feels like it's been ran over by the roller coaster that I'm riding. And when I get off those roller coasters today, man, I am so dizzy that I I, I can't really even function the rest of the day at six flags. Like some of you can relate to that because that's how you feel when you ride a roller coaster as well. You know, life is very much like a roller coaster, isn't it? There's extreme highs, there's extreme drops, there's those wicked turns, and there's those abrupt stops. This morning, we're continuing our sermon series entitled Making Waves. And if you've ever been out on the ocean, if you've ever been on a cruise ship or just a boat in general, then you know that sometimes when you're out on the open water, the, the, the water is just as calm as it can be. But there's other times when the water's anything but calm. It's, it's very, very choppy. And so your boat goes up and down. Up on a wave and then down on a wave. And this goes on and on until some of you actually get seasick. You know, that's how life is. Life is full of ups and downs. Another way of looking at this is life is full of mountaintop experiences and valley experience. There are times in life when it feels like we're living on the summit of Mount Everest. And there's other times that we feel like we're living in Death Valley, doesn't it? I think all of us in this room understand life in those terms because we've experienced the exhilaration that comes with being on the mountain and we have experienced, experience the crushing blows that sometimes happen in the valley of life. The mountaintops have been really, really good, but there's times when we've got to come down off the mountain and into the valley because that's where life really happens and life really occurs. Our message point this morning is this. Jesus reveals his glory on the mountain to prepare us For the valley, Jesus reveals his glory on the mountain to prepare us for the valley. To illustrate this, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verses 28 through 43 together. So, Luke chapter 9, verses 28, um, we're going to break this up. We're going to look at the first 28 through um, verse 36, and then later on in our message, we'll look at 37 and beyond. So begin reading with me in Luke chapter 9, verse 28. The very first words of that verse says, Now about eight days after these saints... So before we understand what in the world was Jesus or, or what Luke's trying to communicate here, we really need to go back eight days before this. And to go back eight days before this, we go to Luke 9.23. And Jesus has brought his disciples together and he tells them that there is going to be a cost for them to follow after him. In Luke nine twenty three, we read, "If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and daily follow me." So, following Jesus is going to cost you something, and that's what Jesus was communicating with his disciples. And so, from this moment, from these passages of Scripture, we, we begin looking together in verse twenty eight. It says this. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And not knowing what he said, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. First this morning, what I want us to see is there are great highs in life. Think about some of the highs that you have experienced in your life. I pray and hope that your greatest high was the moment you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your salvation experience, the time that Jesus saved you from the collision course that you were on with hell. That should be the greatest moment of your life, the greatest high that you have ever experienced in your life. And then there's other highs as well, probably graduating from high school and college, marriage, children, um, Maybe it was a job that you had that, man, just was great. It may have been a vacation that you went on, a Christmas that you celebrated, birthdays or family. So many highs in life. When you look back in your life, the high points are most likely too many to count. Peter, James, and John are about to experience the greatest high that they have ever experienced in their life. uh, Jesus leads these men to the top of what church um, tradition believes is Mount Tabor. And Mount Tabor is located about 12 miles from the Sea of Galilee. And it's on this mountain that the Lord will unveil his glory for these men to see. You know, there's so much in this passage this morning. I wish that we could do this passage of Scripture justice. What we're going to focus on this morning is the glorious experience that these disciples experience on that mountain. During our next message series, which will begin in just a few weeks, we're going to walk through the book of Matthew. When we come to this passage of Scripture in Matthew, we're going to do this entire passage of Scripture justice. So bear with me. We'll get to the rest of this passage in just a matter of weeks from now. This morning, though, I want us to focus on the encounter the disciples have with Jesus on the mountain as they see Jesus in his unveiled glory. But before they see Jesus in his unveiled glory, we see what Jesus is doing. We read again in verses 28 and 29. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying... You know, it is frequently noted that prayer is a strong emphasis within the book of Luke and the book of Acts. One commentator mentions how Luke how with Luke prayer marked every major event in the life of of Jesus as well as the life of the early church. When we go back to Luke chapter 1, one of the very first things that Jesus or that Luke documents is the temple prayer that occurred in Luke 1, 9 through 10. In Luke 3, 21, Jesus is seen praying during his baptism. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus prays all night long before he calls the 12 disciples to follow after him. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. Now, before he unveils his glory to his disciples, he prays. Prayer was an important part of Jesus' life on earth, it was an important part of the early church. And likewise, it must be an important part of our lives as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. As a faith family, prayer needs to be an important part of why we exist. Our third core value as a church is prayer. Prayer is vital. Prayer is important. I would say of all of our core values, this is also probably the weakest value that we have as a faith family. Prayer needs to be At the forefront of what we do as a faith family. Prayer is where we receive the power that comes with being followers of Jesus Christ. Before the coming of the Holy Spirit, we read in Acts chapter 1 that the disciples had retreated to the upper room. What did they do in the upper room? They went to the upper room to pray. Jesus modeled the importance of prayer. Luke emphasized the importance of prayer. The disciples relied upon the power of prayer. And you and I, too, must rely upon the power of prayer in all that we do. If we want to experience the mountaintop highs that come with being a believer, then it is essential that we become people of prayer. If we want to experience revival within our faith family, revival within our, our city, our cities, our county, our nation, and this world, then we need to be people of prayer. I'm looking forward to, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the waves of revival. We need a revival, don't we? We need one individually, we need one corporately, we want, need one nationally, we need one globally. Continue reading with me this morning. In verse 29, Jesus is praying. And scripture says that as he is praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. I love the Matthew's account of this. Matthew says in Matthew 17 too, he says, and he was transformed. Figured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white. As light This word "transfigure" in Greek means "metamorphu," and it's from this word that we get the word "metamorphosis. Jesus' appearance literally transformed before the very eyes of his disciples. For the first 33 years of his life on this planet, his glory was veiled by his humanity, by his body, by his skin. But in this moment, the disciples see Jesus like they've never seen him before. I love what Dr. Ken Hughes says. He says, For a brief moment, the veil of Jesus' humanity was lifted, and his true essence was allowed to shine through. The glory which was always in the depths of his being rose to the surface for that one time in his earthly life. Or put it another way, he slipped back into eternity to his pre-human glory. It was a glance back and a look forward into his future glory. Man, that is good stuff. These three men saw Jesus in his glory. They saw Jesus in his pre state. They saw Jesus without flesh on. You know, when you think about... Um, The the picture that we have of Jesus today, our our vision of Jesus is um, pictures like this right here. You know, the pictures that we see hanging up in our churches or in museums or in our hallways at home. Another popular picture that I promise you somewhere around this church, we can find this picture right here of Jesus knocking at the door. You know, these are the pictures that we have of Jesus. And here's the scary reality. There are also pictures that people have have fabricated of what Jesus looks like because of pictures like this where they actually believe with all of their heart that they see Jesus in in things like grilled cheese sandwiches. I don't know if you can see that. You may need to bring the lights down just a little bit in order for them to kind of picture Jesus um, there in that grilled cheese sandwich. Can you see the picture there? Another um, picture, these are real pictures, okay? Another picture is someone found Jesus on a pita chip, okay? You kind of see Jesus there a little bit more defined. Another picture is someone um, bit into a Kit Kat and they, f- have, they f- found Jesus' face. I think that one may be Photoshopped. But um, regardless, somebody um, thinks that they saw Jesus in a Kit Kat. And another one is, um, a lady was um, grilling um, tortillas one day, and as she was grilling, she actually burnt one of them, and this is the picture that showed up on the tortilla. So this lady takes this tortilla with Jesus' face on it, takes it to her priest, and her priest actually blesses this tortilla because the tortilla looks like Jesus. This lady went home, took that tortilla, put it in a frame, put... Um, cotton behind it. Put the, the the picture of Jesus inside that frame, so it looked like Jesus was floating on clouds. She hung it on her wall, and she built an altar around the holy tortilla, and she began to pray at the altar. Okay, now that's funny. I admit. Okay, but here's the scary reality: thousands upon thousands of people went to this lady's house so they could pray at the feet of the holy tortilla. Here's the problem with that. Because of what we have fabricated in our mind of what Jesus looks like today, people are praying at at holy tortillas. They're praying before trees that have the picture of Jesus on them. Some of you have seen that. People are desperate to catch a glimpse of Jesus. If you want to see Jesus in all of his glory, then I will assure you that when you go um, to lunch today and you ordered that grilled cheese and that picture that looks like Jesus on that grilled cheese, that is not Jesus, okay? If you want to get a glimpse of Jesus, you're not going to see Jesus at the the clouds, you're not going to see Jesus on your tree. You're not going to see Jesus on your desk at work. The only place that you're going to get a full glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ today is in his word. And then John, John documents this. In Revelation chapter 1, if you want to know what Jesus looks to, like today, he doesn't look like the Jesus that we just saw on that tortilla. Jesus looks like this in Revelation 1, 14 through 16. We read, The hairs of his head were white, like white wool like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. You want to get a picture of the glory of the Lord today, what he looks like? Go to his word, and you will find Jesus Christ in His word. In Hebrews 1 3, we read, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Jesus' nature today is the radiance of the glory of God the Father. It's on the mountain that you and I have an experience, and an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's on the mountain that we see Jesus in his full revelation glory. It's on the mountain that we see Jesus in all of his glory. It's on the mountain that the Lord prepares us for what is next, and that is the valley. So there's great highs in life, and there's also great lows in life. When you look back on your life, Just as you can identify great highs, you can probably identify great lows as well. It may have been a breakup. It may have been a divorce. It may have been the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job. It may be a sickness that you have gone through, a terminal illness that you're walking through. The lows of life hurt incredibly deeply. We know the pain that we have as believers as we walk through the valley. But just think about the pain of those that walk through the valley without a relationship with Jesus Christ. When I think about walking through the valley of life without Jesus Christ, my heart literally breaks. I had no idea how I could have survived some of my lowest points in life without the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is the reality. There are millions upon millions upon millions of people outside of the doors of this church, around this world, that today are walking through the valley without a relationship with Jesus Christ. Folks, the mountaintops are great, but you and I cannot remain on the mountain because there's too many people that live in the valley that are in desperate need of Jesus Christ. Continue reading with me in our focal passage this morning. But in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 37, we read this. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. Down in the valley of life, there are multitudes from every tribe and every nation that are in desperate need of an encounter with Jesus Christ. They search for answers. Everywhere, don't they? They try to find answers through poor relationships, bad relationships, through alcohol dependency or drug dependency. Or they try to find the answers to life as they search and pursue um, money or, or wealth or fame or whatever the case might be. Our neighbors are looking for answers. Your classmates, students are looking for answers. Your coworkers are looking for answers. Many of our family members also are looking for answers. Here is the reality: every single day, you and I get into proximity of people that are desperately. that are in desperate need of Jesus Christ. They are desperately seeking someone to point them to another way, to a better way of life. And you and I have the answers, don't we? We have Jesus. Jesus declared of himself in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. There is only one way that, that people in the valley of life are ever going to find hope, and that is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So while Jesus... Peter, John, and James are up on the mountain. This passage tells us that the rest of the disciples are where? They're down in the valley. These, there was a man that had a son who was demon-possessed. And he brought his son to his disciples so that they, so that he could, they could heal this man's son. But they were unable to. And so when Jesus comes down off of the mountain... This man reports to Jesus and says, And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. How many times have people got into proximity of us or walked through the doors of this church, coming, seeking answers, seeking hope, seeking love, only to be turned away without an answer. This man needed the disciples to perform a miracle. But because of their lack of confidence, maybe because of their lack of faith, they were unable to heal this man's son. This world needs a miracle. This world needs Jesus. He is the only one that can heal our broken bodies our broken spirits, broken lives and broken hearts. Jesus is the only answer and you and I possess within us the answer of life. And as we walk through the valley of life, the valleys of life, we need to be prepared to point people to Jesus Christ because he is the only way and the only truth. So we experience great highs on the mountain. We experience great lows In the valley. You know what else we experience in the valley? We experience great opportunities to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ with those that we come in proximity with. As I've said, the mountaintop experiences in life are great. Peter, James, and John were forever forever changed because they saw Jesus in his unveiled glory. Throughout Scripture, we we see other accounts of men that saw um, the glory of the Lord unveiled on mountaintops. Moses on Mount Sinai witnessed the glory of the Lord. Elijah, as he was on the mountain, also experienced the glory of the Lord when he called down fire from heaven and defeated the prophets of Baal. However, following each of these mountaintop experiences, these men leave the mountain and they're thrust into the valley. Peter, James, and John were thrust into the valley and saw a hurting father desperately trying to find someone to heal his son. Moses, when he came down off of Mount Sinai, he comes down off of the mountain. And where does he find Aaron, his brother, and the rest of the Israelites? What does he find and see them doing? they're worshiping a pagan god that they crafted with their own hands. And when, when um, Elijah comes down off of the mountain, he is actually thrust into the desert. He runs into the desert because Queen Jezebel is seeking to kill him. Folks, you and I come here week in and week out on Mount Friendship or Mount Fairview, whatever you want to call this, so that we can have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. We come here up on this hill so that we can get in proximity of Jesus and other believers so that we can be sharpened as individuals. But here's the reality. Every single one of us, when we leave here, where do we go? We go into the valley because it's In the valley where people are hurting, where people are in desperate need of Jesus. The mountaintops are great, but we've got to get into the valley so that we can be used of Jesus as his hands and feet to point people to Jesus Christ. Let us seize the moments the Lord gives us to lead people to Jesus Christ. I came across this illustration by Pastor David Dykes. He shared this illustration um, of the death of Payne Stewart. Some of you remember Payne Stewart if you watch golf. But Payne Stewart was Justin. You don't know who that is. Go Wikipedia and you can find out who Payne Stewart is. In October of 1999, golfer Payne Stewart's jet crashed to the ground at over 600 miles per hour. Investigators determined the occupants of the jet died from asphyxiation long before the jet crashed. There was nobody to be retrieved because of the impact of the crash. Many of you know that not long before Payne Stewart died, um, he became a Christ follower. And when he won the U.S. Open, he was wearing a bracelet, the WWJD bracelet. What would Jesus do? At the crash scene, the only things his wife Tracy was able to retrieve was that bracelet, that WWJD bracelet, a necklace that he had worn since he had met his wife and his devotion book. When Tracy examined his devotional book, she discovered the corner of the page turned down for that day's devotional that he was killed. The scripture was Acts 26, 18 that day, and it speaks of how our job is to open Their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Payne had underlined the printed prayer for that day, reading Grant that I may be used to open the eyes of others and turn them from darkness to light so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in Jesus Christ. That was perhaps the last prayer Payne prayed before he died. Tracy later observed since Payne's funeral, over a thousand people had written her telling her that they had trusted Jesus Christ as a result of Payne's testimony in death. She wrote, it was as if God were saying, even in the midst of tragedy, I will have a witness. It's on the mountaintops that we experience a brilliant Savior, glowing with the glory of God. It's in the valley where there are messed up people that are crying out for help. It is on the mountain where we experience holy worship. It's down in the valley where we have to work. Extremely hard. On the mountain, we find strength and serenity. In the valley, we find frustration and failure. It's on the mountain that we experience delight. It's in the valley that there are demons, disease, and even death. But don't worry. Don't be afraid, because David declared, and David wrote in Psalm 23, 4, Even though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Every single day, you and I walk through the valleys. There's death literally all around us. There are dead men walking, I guess you could say men and women and students and children in desperate need of a Savior. As we walk through this valley of life, let's point them to the glorious Savior. Let's point them to Jesus Christ. The mountaintop experiences of life are amazing. That's where we see Jesus in his unveiled glory. But we've got to come down off that mountain, don't we, into the valley so that we can be used of Jesus as his hands and feet. You know, this morning, as we come to the conclusion of our message, I mentioned at the very beginning of our message that we all experience great highs in life. There should be no greater high that you have experienced than the moment that you received Christ as your Lord and Savior. Your salvation experience should be the greatest high of your life. Some of you here this morning, As you look back on your life, you're like, "Man, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. I do not know if I was to die today where I would spend eternity. If that's you this morning, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. That is to repent of your sins and acknowledge that your sins are what separates you from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible also says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, what we deserve is eternal separation from God and hell. But the second part of Romans 6.23, Three says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The greatest gift that God has ever provided us with is his son, Jesus Christ. And it's through Jesus that you and I can enter into a relationship with God the Father and receive eternal life. So if you are here this morning and you recognize that you are still living a life separated from God because of your sin and you're in need of a Savior, then I invite you during our time of invitation to come to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're here this morning, you've been visiting this church a while, and the Lord is calling you to be a part of this faith family, then I invite you to come and be a part of this faith family. You may need to come and just kneel at the altar. And ask God to reveal to you individuals that you encounter on a daily basis that are living in the valley without Jesus Christ, that the Lord will give you, um, give you boldness, give you a vision, and give you um, the opportunity to proclaim the good news of salvation with those that you come in contact with. Let's stand together as we enter into this time of invitation. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus. Father, thanking you for the mountaintop experiences that we have in life. Father, they're incredibly sweet. They're incredibly life-altering. Father, it's there that we really see you in all of your glory. And Father, if we could just stay on the mountain, that would be amazing. But Lord, you've called us to leave the mountain to go into the valley to get our hands dirty. And so, Lord Jesus, as we um, leave this place this morning, we do pray and ask that you give us opportunities, Lord Jesus, to proclaim the good news of salvation with those that we come in contact with. Father, if there's someone here this morning as yet to receive you as their Lord and Savior, Father, I pray this morning that they'll make the greatest decision that they could ever make. That is to repent of their sins, to cry out to you to be their Savior and their Lord. And, Father, to receive you into their lives and into their hearts, Father. There's some here this morning that need to join this church, Father. We welcome them and invite them to be a part of this faith family. Father, just move now during this time of invitation. First, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.